the first place for number one. Harris drops back, fades to the left, pressure on, and he goes down. Ja'Garrett Davis gets home, and the all-black sideline explodes here in Hamilton. Toward the five, it went through Marcus Dale's hands, and Kyron Moore, the presence of mind to catch it and step out of bounds at the five with 20 seconds to go. Pressure loads it up, goes down the field, taking a shot into the end zone. He caught it. Touchdown, Tigertown. Brandon Banks, how did he do it? How about Speedy B throwing some, uh, throwing some of the old, old water bottles on Monday night? How about that? <laughs> I wish I'd seen that live. We we couldn't see it from our booth, but man, uh, I turned to the TV and there he is yelling at like Trevon Tater, whoever that was. Wow, wow, things were, and then they were making a comeback and. They're fighting each other. Who knows? Yeah, I know. It was a little bit of a mess. Welcome to The Breakdown, everybody. It is Marshall Ferguson at TSN underscore Marsh. DT on OB is on the other side there. Derek Taylor, of course. And we are brought to you by our good friends at Fox 40. Start your season off right with products from our partners at Fox 40. Outfit your coaching staff with custom logo at Fox 40 whistles, gear, coaching boards, and more. Visit fox40shop.com. Use the code CFP15 at checkout for 15% off of your entire order. This podcast is going to be a deep dive into the game of the week, unquestionably, that you will be able to hear on uh, DT's radio airwaves, if you so choose. 680 CJOB will have the call there in Winnipeg. I strongly advise you to listen if you would like to enjoy some great play-by-play of what is supposed to be a fantastic matchup that we'll dive into in a couple of minutes as two undefeated teams in the Western Division early in the year get after it. But first, uh, we just wanted to spend a minute here, DT, because the story of the week obviously has been Montreal in what I am going to do an entire podcast on later today that will come out on Saturday that I'm just going to call premeditated murder Uh, (laughs) (laughs) because like, Oh my goodness. There's so much about this that bothers me. And I've been simmering and kind of letting it ride throughout the week and reading the different reports and seeing Machocha talk and all this, but here's the reality. The panel said last year when he didn't have a contract, going down if they have a bye week early in the season then the schedule came out and then you saw where the bye week was and you said if it's going down this is where it's, it's going to happen after week four yeah and then it happened after week four and we saw what Edmonton looked like last night as we're taping this on Friday morning man Machocha's trying to set himself up for a valiant return to a place that uh, he used to coach and be able to get a victory and say hey look we fixed everything and we have absolutely no discipline issues anymore the whole thing just bothers me, but how do you feel about it? How has it kind of struck you as the week has gone on and you've seen and read the different things that have been around? Oh, it, not particularly fair, right? Yeah. The the GM hamstrings a coach with a lack of talent on the roster is my perception of Montreal. I thought they'd be last in the East and, and then fires the coach and takes over, part, then takes over as the coach right. and does it. We talked about this. It, it's Premier League style where, hey, we got a soft part of the schedule coming up. Let's fire the guy. So, oh, here's the bye week, and here is Edmonton, which is now you, – you should bet Edmonton to lose every game by 40 from here on in because the odds are fantastic. Uh, they're going to start 1-0 by beating Edmonton. Woohoo! look, this is why we made the change. Look how much sharper we were. Look how many fewer penalties we took. Look how awesome we are now under me, though I didn't really want this job. I, I, I just followed Milt Stiegel, who said, hey, he thinks Danny Machocha wants to be the coach. And here we are, where Danny Machocha is now the coach of the Montreal Alouettes with uh, 
soft part of the schedule coming up. So mm-hmm. um, we told you it would happen here, and uh, here we are. And here's the the awkward part for me that I, in all honesty, I've thought about, but I also do not want awkwardness or somebody doing something that I disagree with to impact my ability to speak truth on these podcasts to you, because the point is to give you honest analysis. That's why we built this thing, is that I have to interview Danny Machocha because I'm covering Montreal games later in the year. And like, yeah, I'm going to have to sit down with this guy after I say things that he's not going to like if these things get back to him, which in all honesty, I don't think he gives a damn what anybody thinks of him because otherwise he wouldn't have done this because he knows how bad this looks. He's not dumb. Like he knows what it looks like. He understands the optics. He understands when people are going to be upset about this. And yet he still did it. But the thing that is jumping out to me in this is just like, he's not dumb, but neither are we. Yeah. Like, like nobody is, is being fooled in any way. And that's what, I think it's the disingenuous nature of going out and saying, well, it was discipline. You know, why wasn't a player pulled from the game and his voice wasn't connecting in the room anymore. You know, whose voice is going to connect less than Kahari Jones in the room, Danny? Yours. What connection do they have to you? Like you, you might assign some of the guys, but to me, you go back and look at 2019 in the locker room when Enoch Moamba was standing next to Kahari and they had just lost in a crossover game against Edmonton to Trevor Harris, by the way. Uh, and <laughs> amazing, the tangled web we weave. Uh, but there's a video from inside that locker room after the 2019 Eastern semi loss where dudes are crying. And like all anybody was saying was we love this coach. We love being around him. We appreciate the opportunities he's given. He speaks to that room in a way that Danny Machocha, I genuinely believe will not be able to. So trying to sell people on the concept of his voice wasn't connecting to me is just, it's so tone deaf on so many levels. And that, that bothers me because not only do I want players in that room to have success, I also want Kahari Jones, who I deem to be a talented and valuable coach to this league as a person, as an ex player, like on a lot of different levels, to be in this league like I think he's really good for the league I think he was entertaining I think he's fun I'm gonna miss the dancing on the sidelines and I, th- <laughs> I think the thing that bothers me too is like Baron Miles just gets gassed as part of the package and in comes Noel Thorpe um yeah it's just it's frustrating so anyways I'll, I'm gonna do yeah. a separate podcast on that where I can ramble away and not waste our time here with you sitting and listening to me being grumpy but uh, but I, I do, I, I think it's interesting the way that this has been viewed because there's not many people out there I've seen on social or otherwise DT that have been like, you know what, this is the right call. They did need a different voice in the room. And when the overwhelming sentiment of social media leans 90% plus in one direction, that's pretty damning that the general consensus was, okay, this guy either sees something that we don't see at all, or he's just making up his own reality. Uh, one statement, one question I have. I don't, I believe most people like slash love Gahari Jones mm-hmm. from his time as a player to his time as a coach. I, I, I see Gahari Jones. I don't know how you couldn't like Gahari Jones or listen to him or respect him. So anything that equates to lost the room, I, I look at kind of side eyed. Um, the question is just putting this out there, totally rhetorical. Do people connect with Noel Thorpe? From from the stories that go around the CFL, do people connect with Noel Thorpe? He he knows defense. He knows defense. Right? He is a... As I I understand, as people tell me, yeah. Right. And Baron Miles... 
but Baron Miles knows defense as well. And lack of identity on defense when you lost half your defensive roster, yeah, you're going to have a lack of identity with Noel Thorpe there too. Yeah. Like, like yeah. unless you want to come in with Noel Thorpe and just go plus one pressure the entire game where you're like, our identity is to blitz at all times with more pressure than they can deal with. Okay, you're going to play man on the back end with a bunch of guys who are fresh there for the most part and get burned with touchdowns over your head. Is your identity to lose games by 30 instead of by 13? Like that, These are the questions I think that are fair to ask if you are a Montreal football fan or just a CFL fan that thinks Montreal's situation is, is moving very quickly, unfairly. Uh, can't wait for the marsh pod on the Montreal Alouette. <laughs> Nobody it. wants to good. listen. Nobody wants to listen to that. Um, I feel like I just need to do it to get thoughts out of my brain so I can move on with my weekend and enjoy Red Blacks against the Riders and also uh, the BC Lions against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. As uh, I mentioned, this is a matchup of undefeated teams. I got a chance to see BC in person last week, last Thursday, victory in Ottawa going uh, in there. Nathan Rourke throwing for all the accolades we've given him. Man, those were two bad interceptions. Uh, they were nasty. The one was late and inside yeah. the money hunter. The other one was just like trying to make too much happen, middle of the field, miscommunication with a receiver. And then he bounces back and he chips away and he goes back to being a 90% passer, which is absolutely ludicrous. What has you most excited going into this game? The thing that you look at the schedule, because this is how I think both of our brains kind of work, is that you see logo A, logo B, and your brain goes, this is why I'm excited about this. And for me, that's that's watching Kalaros weave his magic against that BC defense that's been so stellar. But it's Nathan Rourke staring down the barrel of Willie Jefferson, Jackson, Jeff, Code, Adam, Big Hill, on and on and on and on. Yeah, both offensive defensive matchups are are very exciting. But mo- the the premier one, right, is the BC offense against against Richie Hall and the uh, the Bombers defense. Uh, I asked Coach O'Shea yesterday about Nathan Rourke, and he just listed off about twelve things that he's impressed with Nathan Rourke. Thus far, he gets the ball out quick and he's in command of the offense and, and he can use his feet in the run game. And you go, oh boy, if uh, the, the Bombers defense has been, we need a better term of bending, but not breaking. They've been, they've been bending a lot this season. They allow a lot of yards and not a bunch of touchdowns. Uh, Rourke and that offense can bend. Like Keon Hatcher went off last week, filling in for Brian Burnham. There's the looming lucky whitehead. And, uh, you know, test him against a, a second-year defensive back in Demario Houston. There's, oh, we need something. Oh, here's Javon Katoy as a giant weapon. Uh, you know, there's there are just so many options within that that BC offense. And through three games, it's, it's killing. It's killing. And they haven't had a test like the Bombers defense and Willie and Jackson and Jake Thomas and Adam Big Hill, who's everywhere this season, and Dietrich Nichols, who just gloms onto slot receivers and and won't let them go. So it's the highest powered currently offense and truthfully the highest, probably the highest, highest ceiling defense. And, and they go head to head on Saturday. And I'm so excited to see that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the way that this is trended uh, in the last couple of weeks is the idea that, you know, Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat in that group, they might not have been the 2021 early season version where it's like, unstoppable, you know, get to the quarterback when we want to and give up no points in the fourth quarter. And all of these things is like, they're not far off, but it doesn't feel like it's this just incredibly, you have absolutely no chance they're going to clamp you down, but they're evolving and they're improving. And the thing I love about BC's offense right now is that they're evolving and improving, despite the fact that Brian Burnham being down is going to be a step back. You can see the learning and the progression in Rourke 
as he's going along here. Like I was really concerned for him. I said on this podcast going into week one where I knew he was dealing with four or five months of people saying Canadian quarterback, eh? Canadian quarterback, Canadian quarterback, Canadian quarterback, Canadian quarterback. And every single time he stepped to microphones with a smile on his face and said, yep, it's meaningful to me. He was inviting that pressure because he had no choice but to deal with it. That just comes with the territory. And then he dominates in week one. And we have sky high expectations going into after his bye week, week three. He answers the bell and does it again. Mm-hmm. Now he's going on the road. And, and I actually said to him when we started our Zoom call, because I, like I said, I was calling that game. I go, hey, Nate, so how tired are you of this? And he, <laughs> he looked up from crushing a salad in the BC Lions weight room, like jamming us in between film and weights and workout and practice. And he looked up and without even cracking a smile, he's like pretty tired of it. Like straight shooter, just like, yeah, man, like I'm, I'm really done with this. I just kind of want to like play football and focus on playing football because that's what I want to do. And it's like, I don't think people realize the weight that he carries with every step of his journey is he's carrying this like a 10 pound dumbbell that's attached to his pants. And he has to keep playing at the same level as all the other quarterbacks, but doing it to a standard that he has set early in the season and also doing it with that 10 pounds attached to the back of his pants. And -hmm. it's like, that's, there's so much happening there that for him to throw those two picks in Ottawa, driving back to Kingston to see my parents after the game in Ottawa last Thursday night, I was actually really happy that that happened to him because he was post-game basically just like, I've been telling you guys, this ain't me. This is us. This is the team. I'm glad you can see that now. And then, yeah, he's trying to deflect and he's trying to find different ways to allow people to appreciate the bigger picture. But he's also been humbled a little bit by those mistakes and found a way through it. And that's why this is such perfect timing to play the vaunted bombers defense, because it's like going through a video game. It's like Edmonton stage one, clear Toronto after a bye week stage two, clear Ottawa on the road, stage three, clear. Ooh, little, little iffy, but clear degree of difficulty is going up and up and up and up and up. And he's answered the bell every time. And now it's like bombers defense. What do you got? And that's why this is just such an appealing matchup to me is that the next question becomes not necessarily even a bad interception or a fumble like you had against Ottawa late in the game, or it's the question of when you're two for eight in the first quarter, what do you got? Like if if Willie's got three knockdowns or you've got an interception or whatever it might be, Adam Big Hill's gotten in and maybe he's nicked you and your, your left elbow feels a little wonky and you got to play through it. Or it's like, what do you got? And it's, that's what I think is so tantalizing for people here is this is really one of those early season giant versus giant kind of feeling games. Yeah. The, the upside for, for Rourke is if he's in the CFL next season, he won't have to deal with the same number of questions about, Hey, you're Canadian by the way. But I mean, when it's the first go round for all the media teams, and I'm sure when we scrum him later today, we'll say, hey, hey, you're Canadian, by the way, nudge, nudge. Yeah. Uh, that part's going to end, and it will just be you're a starting quarterback in the Canadian Football League who makes a very nice six-figure salary because, man, he's getting paid next season if he's still here, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm curious to see how, how uh, Winnipeg decides to attack Rourke and that offense. Um. Does Richie bring? Does Richie Hall bring pressure? They do a lot of. Here's a four-man front with. Uh, here's here's four, you know three linebackers. 
Here's two linebackers and a five-man front. Here's a three-man front with four four linebackers. And just here's personnel coming in and out and moving around. And where's this guy? And where's that guy? Are we blitzing? Are we not blitzing? Can you... If he's getting the ball out quick, can you bring three and drop nine? What is what's Richie going to choose to do is is where I really want to see this because if the ball's coming out fast and the first game his depth of target was a little over three yards. Speaking of Nathan Rourke, yeah, and it's gotten gotten longer and longer as as we go along. But I still I don't know if you have it off the top of your head, but I'm a little behind in the charting. I assume it's his depth of target is still not very deep, despite some beautiful uh, deep outs and corner out throws that we've seen from him. Um, what if that stops working or how yeah. do you, Jeremiah Masoli does cool things to, in those first two games to get the ball around Willie Jefferson when he's coming off that edge, yeah. right? Looking to swat the ball out of the sky. Does Nathan, does Nathan have that? What's his plan for that? And then when he leaves the pocket and, uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the pocket to the weak side. And now Malik Clements is, is there to, to eat his lunch or mm-hmm. Adam Big Hill busts through a double team and then a backer and, or then a running back and then gets through there. What's his plan in all these situations? Every week's a new test, right? Just like the video game analogy. You're through level three, but now here, you know, you, you beat Bald Bull, but then you have the, <laughs> the, the guy who spun around real fast, right? And now you got to figure out his, his game and how that works. And if you do, eventually you can, you can punch out Mike Tyson. I love that. Um, yeah, and I think for me, the idea of him uh, leveling up is exciting. But I, I do disagree with you on one point, which is he's going to be carrying that 10-pound dumbbell on the back of his pants for as long as he's in this league. You, like, think, I, you think so? We I get do. tired of storylines in the media. Like, I agree, I agree we but we also, we also liked – I'm trying to think of one that's kind of been like – you know, a thread that has run through a major quarterback's uh, life. Uh, and it's, it's funny because there's really nothing as compelling front of mind for me. I'm sure there'll be people that will tweet into us about like, oh, something that was, you know, the kid from La Puente with Anthony Calvillo. That's a great story. But we came to appreciate him as much more than that. I would say. Yeah. Um, Bo's for, winning record, maybe. Bo's winning uh, record is definitely one. For me, one that I always felt like was kind of underplayed was like, Drew Tate gunslinger Texas high school quarterback record of touchdowns and passing yards and all these things he had is like but that's not as that doesn't connect to people who are living in uh, Moose Jaw or uh, Thunder Bay or as just seeing a kid and go he's ours he's our, like that's the whole secret sauce to this thing it's the reason why people were tuning in I, don't, I haven't seen what the ratings were for Calgary Edmonton they couldn't have lasted very good uh, because the game I thought was clunky before the score even got out of hand. There were penalties and timeouts and substitution errors and ugh, it was bad. And then it was, the skies so were like, slides. and then the skies were like, let me create weather conditions that are um, reflective of this game right now. And then it dragged it to four yeah. hours. But started that game, the ratings must've been pretty good because Trey was ripping around and being creative. It's like that dude grew up in Niagara Falls and played at Waterloo. There's this, this sense of because they are of us, that they increase the connection and I just, I, I'm so interested to see what direction people take with Nathan work. If he can somehow maintain, and I don't even want to say maintain if he stays above average as a CFL quarterback and he maintains his starting spot and he stays healthy and he plays the full season. And I don't know, let's, let's say an average season would be we BC Lions get into the playoffs and uh, you know, lose in the Western semi against Calgary. Okay. Yeah. Epic man. You'd be like, wow, successful season. He played great. He stayed healthy. He got them into the playoffs. That's exciting. Let's see where they can build. I think the lazy analysis down the road 
on Rourke would be, well, he's Canadian, 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 Canadian. People will get tired of it because I think there's so much more meat on that bone. But I also believe it will always be attached to him because as he continues to play and progress, it will be more wins than Canadian quarterback X or he's had the most starts for one team as a Canadian quarterback since Y, or it's just like, it's always going to be associated with him. But this is honestly why I feel him being kind of pissed off, to be honest, about the fact that people want to just talk Canadian stuff with him and not the football is that he's learning how to deal with the incessant reminder of where he is from, which as a Canadian quarterback in the CFL, I'm not going to say it's as equally important as playing at a high level, mm. but, but mentally, like I keep coming back to this 10 pound weight analogy because mentally to try and go out and play the game at a high level. And the first question is, Hey, did you know you're the first Canadian quarterback to do blank since X you do that for a week or two. And it's like, wow, man, that's pretty cool. You do that for a year or two. And it's like, thanks. <laughs> like, like, and all of a sudden you're just like, that's really cool. I appreciate it. Uh, history means a lot to me. And he'll say all the right things because quarterbacks are typically media robots. But at some point he's, he's worn out by it. But I love that he's having to face head on early in his career because of his stellar performance. The idea that people are going to constantly remind him and he's learning how to deal with it and move past it and just play high caliber football. And that's really meaningful. But again, none of that means anything if we build BC up and up and up and up. And then Winnipeg is like, actually, we're the two-time defending champions. And this is what it looks like to play winning football. Because you remember, as well as I do, last year with Michael Riley, relatively early in, early in the season, BC was, I won't say hot, but they were pretty warm. Like they looked like they were kind of finding their rhythm. Yeah. And I looked at their schedule and it was, I think, Saskatchewan in BC, Winnipeg in BC, and there was like a road game and then back in BC to take on somebody else that was had a pretty good record. And I remember tweeting it out and going, man, if they can knock down like two or three of these games, they will prove that they can actually compete in this division, which we did not expect based on 2019. And they came out of that, <laughs> that, that stretch awful. And then it was like, let's go to Toronto. We'll find a way. Jimmy Camacho can't kick field goals. Awful. Let's go to Hamilton. We can still make the playoffs. Awful. Let's go home. Hey, this is a game to, to get into the playoffs against Calgary. Awful. It was like down the stretch. It was such a yeah. sad ending. Michael Riley ends up leading the league in passing. But it's like, oh, man, you guys had every opportunity last year. And everybody was excited, whether you're a Lions fan or not, for the potential of what was there. And so I take this with a grain of salt going into this game where I think, this is a great matchup. It's a great early season test. We can continue to build the story on both sides. But I remember being here last year and Winnipeg went in and said, oh man, this is what we do. I don't know what you guys are about, but this is how we play football. Yeah. The, the difference is this Winnipeg team does not look like last year's Winnipeg team, right? Fair. And now, and now the injuries are starting to, to whack them as well. They just put, or, or they just, or this week, they will put Kyrie Wilson on the six game injured list and you go, there's one of the league's premier weak side linebackers and they have depth in there and that Malik Clements is here and he's a guy with CFL experience and experience at that will spot. But okay, we'll now add that to it's still Malcolm Thompson at safety and Thompson's great and is going to dish out some monster hits tomorrow. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not, it's just not Brandon Alexander. Right. And on and on and on. And you go, mm, okay, well, 
this team that uh, I, I was doing it, uh, I have uh, yards above average and, right. and for defense, yards below average. So the, the, the plays that were, were taken against you, how many yards should you have given up? Last year, the Bombers passing allowed 1,050 yards below expected, essentially. Wow. <laughs> they were, And that was by far the best of any team I had. It probably goes back to 2015 or so, which includes some incredible Calgary defenses. They were leaps and bounds above that. That's just not what they are at this point right now. And whatever you want to attribute that to, just it's a salary cap sport or it's the injuries or whatever it is. Like it's this isn't the 45 bagel game of last season, right? Where uh, out with Ali Mortada's single point ruins everybody's over, everybody's <laughs> under. Um, the, oh, was there a the bad, same. not to sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but was there a bad beat in the Calgary Edmonton game I saw you tweet about? Oh, um, there was uh, someone had tweeted me that the late touchdown, the 49 6 touchdown, made the over. Uh, made it the over instead of the under. And there was no point to that touch. Tommy Stevens, I think, scored it. There was no point to the touchdown, but it made the, it put the over up and, and uh, folks hold the under, you know, who were just clinging on for life with the under uh, got beat. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I just thought that, that was such a great, and when I looked at that, I was like, oh man, that is, if you're staying up until 1am Eastern and you're counting on the under because you're like this is a bad game and then the scoring explodes and Edmonton collapses that's bad yeah it's 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 rough so yeah I'm I'm it's not the same defense for the Bombers this right. season for all the reasons we, we talked about so let's see uh what what that's all about and man I'm I'm will they be able to will they be able to run the ball through uh through Butler which has been effective for them in spots uh, what happens when Keon Hatcher doesn't go off this week? Because Dietrich Nichols is just mm-hmm. a, just a, he just, he, this gravitational force of like, yep, yeah, you, I've got you, you're fine, you can't do anything. Good luck with your life now. So, okay, I'm, what if Keon Hatcher isn't that uh, first, second option uh, this week? What if it's just lucky? And well, they're not, they're not short of receivers. They're not short of anything, honestly, in BC. Yeah. Like we talked about preseason. If Nathan Work is even average, I've said it a couple of ways. If Nathan Work is even average, if Nathan Work is even Matt Nichols, this BC team is going to be a problem. He's Rourke is currently the MOP of the league, and this team is absolutely a problem. Highest scoring this, uh, everything uh, that that teams in the West would have feared. So, yeah, what's what's the BC offense Winnipeg defensive matchup, and who's making wrinkles to try to bamboozle the other side the most? And here's the crazy part: after this game is completed on Saturday evening. We're a quarter of the way through the season. Like this yep. is, this is not, he's the MOP through the first two weeks or three it's week four, week five. Now in the, the crazy thing is it, by the time that we're done this, we're like a month and a half out from labor day. And once you get to labor day, everybody, Oh, it gets for real and all the rest. It's like, Oh man, you take their early season into account. If he's still healthy and he's still balling, it's like, is Nathan Mark going to be the MOP? <laughs> like, as it keeps going on and on, you have to keep having those honest conversations with yourself, I think. But I got a couple of numbers I wanted to throw out here. One is uh, Nathan Rourke, uh, average depth of target from week number one was 5.1 yards. Um, yeah. As we know, week three after the bye against Toronto, it was 8.5. So it went from 5.1 to 8.5. And then in week number four, it went up again to 8.7. So he's actually increased his depth of target um, each of the weeks that he has played this season thus far, in terms of attempts that are over 20 yards down the field, just let me sort for that real quick because I'm interested in his actual 
uh, completion percentage on balls of 20 plus because woo, Fajardo is coming back to earth in a big way very quickly as everybody got all excited because he was like six of nine in week number one. Uh, yeah. He is Nathan Rourke right now, eight of 11 on passes of 20 yards or more down the field ridiculously uh, wide open passes right yeah right yeah like people breaking open from coverage and busts in the secondary and all that kind of stuff the other number that i just this is a number that does not mean anything but i i had the thought the other day just because the number of snaps that they have taken with large leads the lions this year i was like <laughs> i i was like i wonder what their cumulative score differential is so taking every snap they've played and adding and subtracting those numbers together the BC Lions this year, <laughs> and you know when we talk about like you know score differential in baseball, it's like wow the Yankees are like plus one ten or whatever. Uh, the BC Lions are plus two thousand seven hundred and thirty. The yeah. Winnipeg Blue Bombers, for reference, are plus five hundred seventy six. So you're yeah. dealing with a twenty two hundred point difference in cumulative score differential, which again, that number means absolutely nothing because it's blowout games and number of snaps that have been taken with leads and all the rest. But it just goes to show you how much of the season they have spent leading by forty points. Like it's yeah. it's wild that they put themselves in that situation. What do you make of the reverse matchup, the Bombers' offense against the BC Lions' defense? Because they put up their Lions put up their death chart, and I go. That back six is for real, yes. for real. And and the lingering question, like people were texting into the broadcast, this is the worst four and team we've ever I've ever seen. You're like, okay, well that's that's harsh, but that's I don't know, it's whatever. Um, what happens in this game if Winnipeg gets down ten? Yeah. I I don't know what happens if Winnipeg gets down ten in a game. Which fortunate for them, they haven't trailed by any significant margin this season. Uh, I'm trying to think of what the biggest one was, but uh, what happens if they're down 10 to this BC Lions team, which is mm -hmm. high charged offense and potentially very powerful defense? Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing that jumps out to me the most with Winnipeg's offense as of late is that, and obviously you know it much better from watching it close up, but for me watching it through the television, when Greg Ellingson and, and Dalton Schoen are on, it's pretty special. Like Rashid Bailey is not taking the lead role in the way that I thought he was going to jumping in and having all these targets and catches. I, I got scared when I saw Brian Mitchell tweet out that he's missing it uh, last night though. Uh, Cause I was just like, hmm, maybe back. Uh, Hook that to my veins. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the thing that really, I think jumps out to me more than anything else is that Kolaros, like, I, every week I find a clip that I tweet out where I just is basically a Kolaros appreciation clip of this week. It was the, the touchdown throw to Dalton shown where the pocket is collapsing around him. And I think this is how I will remember Zach at the end of his career more than anything else is standing in. And obviously he's got that bit of a long release where it kind of drops down low a little bit, but he's standing in and he's ready to throw and the pocket is all around him and he knows he's running out of time. And I kind of like freeze framed it. I, I literally pressed pause. And I thought if this were Dane Evans, Vernon Adams Jr., Cody Fajardo, uh, maybe anybody but Bo Levi, to be honest, they would take off and run with the pocket looking like this. And what does he do instead of taking off to run? He, it's really little stuff with Zach. It's really impressive. But he gains about a half yard worth of depth. depth. He widens his base. And he starts like foot firing 
and he gives himself the base and the foot setup to be able to rip it however he needs. And then from flat feet, not squared up to his target, basically sidearm rips it 15, 17 yards. Dalton Schoen catches it, knives for touchdown bombs. And it's like him doing that, the little pirouette in the backfield where he spun around, did the 360 against Toronto and then threw it down the middle of the field when he wasn't even looking in the middle of the field until right before he threw it is like, he has this ability to make something out of nothing when he needs to. And it's that Kolaros magic that I think is really going to be on display because Rourke has had the magic, no doubt, throughout the season, but they're different. Like Rourke's magic is tactical precision, getting through your reads. I know exactly where to go with the football. I put it in the perfect place 95% of the time. Kolaros is, I'll put it in the right spot most of the time. Some of our play calls will be pretty safe. Little shovel here, little screen pass there, a little backdoor, uh, you know, tunnel screen here and that. But then on second and long, about five times a game, he just blows my mind. And the question is, can he continue to blow my mind against that BC group that even up front, they look really good. Like Menard looks good. Betts was really active in that Thursday night game against Ottawa. Um, obviously, Boom Guachim's got the length and all the rest of the athleticism. But yeah, he is, he's been pretty unique. And the thing that really jumped out to me when I was charting uh, the game this past week was like, I put it on CFL.ca, ho-hum crazy night in Toronto missed extra point down the stretch that everybody's talking about Zach completed more than 80% of his passes and they got the win it's like when he completes more than 80% of his passes and they get the win at this point it's like just another Kolaros week it's like no we can't just look at that as like another Kolaros week it's like that's really special that's really unique and I actually had one person tweet to me DT saying it's very reminiscent of Anthony Calvillo late in his career that wide base that long release it's like, I, you don't think of Calvillo and Claros as the same guy, but if you look no. at some of their pocket dynamics, it's really not a bad comparison. And, and to give him credit for that with football's leading passer for as long as AC was, that's pretty amazing. Welcome to Claros Island, my friend. <laughs> when, I, when I first went to Regina, You've been here. One, one of the first things I said on Regina Radio was, I'm on Claros Island. I, I'm the governor of Claros Island. And Zach's career wasn't at its, at its, at its zenith then. But since then, bam, bam, two Grey Cups, MOP, and this is what it is. He's, he's an improvisational master, like Wayne Brady, Colin Mockery, Zach Kolaros. Boom. <laughs> uh, that is a perfect way to end the podcast for us this week. It is the breakdown. Listen to DT on OB. At DT on OB is where you can find him, of course, coming up. It will be Saturday evening. Let people know what time they can catch you on the radio. Oh, my goodness. It's a four o'clock Pacific time start. So we'll start at 2 p.m. Pacific time with the pregame show. We'll hear from Rourke. We'll hear from Zach. Uh, we'll have we have all sorts of fantastic features. We talk a ton of football and it's fantastic. There you go. 5 p.m. Eastern time. If you would like to hear the pregame show, that's where you can catch me leading you all the way up to kickoff. DT, thanks, brother. We'll talk to you next week. Everybody. Right,